Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And this is 51 First Dates, a podcast about life. Dating. I always, I just can't do it. It's a podcast about dating. Okay. I tried. Hi, Liza. <laughs> you did it. You did great. That's exactly what it is. It's Fairly. a podcast about dating. And it's a Tuesday, but it feels like Monday, but it's fine. Um, Hi, everybody. We are so happy you're here. We are I have an awesome episode for you today, and Kimmy and I are both just crushing it, nailing it, demolishing it as usual. (laughs) Kimmy, do you want to tell them about our episode? I will tell them about our episode. We are so, so genuinely excited to have Casey Tanner on. She is a certified sex therapist. She's the creator of the Instagram at Queer Sex Therapy. That's, you've probably seen her Instagram. It's fantastic. And she owns the Expansive Group, which is a collective of therapists and educators all trained in working with gender, sexual, and relationship diversity. Really cool conversation about therapy, about, you know, specifically her queer clients, queerness in general, you know, exploring your sexuality and dating. We asked a lot of questions um, because a lot of you are women uh, centered on kind of that perspective. And and if you, you know, you know, want to explore dating women or or vice versa. So yeah, I'm crushing it as usual, but Casey is fantastic. Our conversation is fantastic. We're going to get to that shortly. Liza, why do I feel this way? I know. I don't know. I feel really weird too. And it's like, it's very, it's, it's funny when we both have this feeling at the exact same time, because then it's like, oh yeah, wait, have we done this 200 times or is this the first time we're doing it? That's how I feel right now (laughs) doing this intro, but I will do business because those words I might be able to say. Um, please follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at 51firstdatespod. You can join our secret Facebook group, which is really the loveliest, sweetest, most supportive community on the internet. We have a couple, we had a couple of like really just fucking heartwarming posts this week about, um, well, I won't tell you, you should go and see, but it, they, they made me like emote. Uh, it was really sweet and cool and um, exciting to hear how uh, this pod has affected people. Um, uh, that sounded self-aggrandizing. It, and also people are brave and cool and take risks and it's um, awesome. You can also uh, email us at 51firstdatespod. Send us your dating detective stories. That's just like any dating mystery. The thing that you still are like, what happened with that? That was weird. 
Uh, and we will break it down for you. You can send us your worst first date stories. Kimmy has a real and in-person worst first date story that she's going to share today that she experienced this weekend. <laughs> and also, if you could please rate, subscribe, review. Um, those things are, uh, yes, lovely for us to read, but also really important to help us get guests like Casey. Uh, one of the first things people do is look at how many reviews we have, what our reviews are like. And um, subscribing is just a quick click and it's free and it really helps us a lot. I won't bore you with why it's numbers and math and stuff. Um, that's my spiel. Business. Business, business, business. We love business. <laughs> we love consuming too. Shall we just hop into consumption corner lies? Yeah, let's talk about some shit that we can always talk. We, can, we always can't monologue about which is watching television usually oh my gosh usually I'm just trying to catch up in my head about what I've been watching Liza what have you been watching okay so I have been watching I feel like a lot of stuff but I I want to talk about the Emmys briefly yeah I I watched those from Las Vegas I was in Las Vegas oh my god oh my god who am I you are you're living the dream Uh, the Emmys were so, I was like so moved by the Emmys this year, which feels really stupid to say, but it was really cool to see like a group of fully vaccinated people like celebrating the artistic, like I just had like, I know that there is, um, COVID is still like a very serious big deal, but it was just like a cool milestone to see, uh, all of these people who like play all of these characters that got me through quarantine together like celebrating their achievements and also like I feel like they just deserve to celebrate themselves a lot because they got a lot of people through a lot of shit this year uh like tv is really what was keeping a lot of us going mostly me uh but also I just want to like shout out Michaela Cole's Mm -hmm. speech like a that show is just like maybe the best show that's ever been made I may destroy you on on HBO um but her speech was so fucking good and she just reminded everybody to like it's okay i mean i'm gonna fucking misquote her you should watch it on youtube but she basically said it's talked about how we live in a society where like visibility and being like at the top of people's minds like i kind of interpreted that as like social media and like being productive and making stuff and doing stuff and being out there and having people see what you're doing is like so important in our society right now and she was like yeah I just encourage you to take a step back and be invisible and like not not get into that flow and like see what happens to you creatively and it was just like for me it was just a really nice and important reminder and like I just feel like so many people need to hear that they're like it actually is okay if you're not like producing and like putting stuff on the internet and like making everyone know what's going on in your life and um I I just thought it was great and I enjoyed watching the whole Emmys and that's my spiel. And then I have other, I have other consumption, but that was, that no, was the, I mean, like, that was like one. the best moment of that. And Ugh. Uh, I think, you know, overall some issues with like, it's a TV show celebrating TV shows. And I feel like it's not a good TV show. So it's, I don't know. Well, I had so much fun watching it, but I was also okay. kind of buzzed and, and alone and I had, yeah. had half a gummy. So I was like, I mean, you know, I like was buzzed. Jeff was like, out doing something and I was like, "Ooh, this is like my Emmy's party. So party of one. So party I think I had an outsized, 
I had an outsized good time watching it for whatever fucking reason. I also feel like compared to the Oscars, it's like more shows that like are clearly like, okay, fine. And there are still good shows, The Crown and uh, Ted Lasso, but they like swept blah, blah, blah. But still these shows like Hacks, I May Destroy, you got some recognition. It feels like the people voting know what they're doing um, and watch a lot of the the good shit. And I, yeah, just go watch I May Destroy You and Hacks if you haven't. I honestly think Hacks is part of the yeah. reason why I, so all of you know, I am not typically a Las Vegas fan, but I kind of didn't have a weekend and was working a lot and just wanted to be in a hot place with a pool not too far from LA and the hotels there are just a lot cheaper than other destinations nearby like Palm Springs so I did it I just went with day 13 to Vegas shocking move um but I kind of feel like maybe part of that was because I watched tax not that they painted in a great light but just like oh yeah that's a place you can go (laughs) like I don't know Totally. Uh, it yeah. still sucks, I mean, guys. I'm still sucks. ready for a rewatch of I May Destroy You after after. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I, I think I watched it all in, like, two days. And I'm like, okay, I should watch this again and, like, take my time and not be like, oh, my God. Um, But that was the, that. was that. And then I've, I've also been rewatching a show that you recommended to me in, like, maybe 2016, 2015, Ooh. just to fall asleep. I've been rewatching You're the Worst, like, purely uh. as a going down show because I've already... I have to rewatch shows as a I have very um very strict criteria for my falling asleep shows and it is always something I've always watched so it doesn't matter if I fall asleep or else I keep myself up until four in the morning watching stuff yeah something that's like not too intense or like thought provoking or any like it's got to be kind of like mellow in some way. And in general, like a comedy. I don't want to be I don't want to be bummed out or like in a in a deep place or whatever. So I've been rewatching that to fall asleep. And I just think it's like such a fucking good show. Obviously, like not perfect and issues. And like it was made, you know, long enough ago that there are things where I was like, that's not something we would say on television even six years later. Or whatever wow, it was. that's interesting. But, but yeah, it's not a good ton. dating not show, like, too. I feel like it was like. I, and it dives more into this dysfunction as it goes along. I feel like I never finished that show, but I feel like it's a great show to watch, like the early seasons, if you're, I don't know, feeling some type of way about dating. It's, yeah, it's about yeah. people who feel some type of way about dating in a way, I think. So, recommend. yeah, it's just been like a fun little revisit. Where I had is it? rewatched Parks and Rec too many times. It's on Hulu. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> I think. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I feel like that makes sense because uh, wasn't it an FX show? Mm, feels like yes, an FX show. it was totally. It was during FX, FX had a moment of like they made just like a ton of really good shit for like three years. I'm sure they still are, but yeah. They, now I don't know what I network anything feel is that on. They still are. Um, yeah. Okay, Liza. What about you? You, you crush it. I really don't know. My rewatch was it's not new. One that I used to rewatch can recite most lines from my my night night show has been arrested development again weirdly so maybe this it's not a full recommendation but I find it very hard in a in a car trip to agree on any kind of podcast with my sigo um we were like trying to listen to some murder podcasts about the awful disappearance of that girl Gabby um so sad and also so sad that like we gave that much attention to that and like 710 indigenous people have been missing in the same area uh, women maybe I, I don't know if all were women but we can all do better but I was also just so just like horrified I was horrified by this podcast we turned on that was talking about it like 
before she was even found as though it was just really gross. It was really gross. I listened to My Favorite Murder, things like that. They were like, this is exciting at one point. And I was like, how can you not cut that out? Oh, we want to go there. Oh, it's taking everything. It was awful. Anyway, so that didn't work out for us. And usually like a murder podcast that's actually well done could work out for us. So he likes the podcast Smartless, which is um, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. They just interview celebrities, and I kind of just was like, what is that podcast? It got bought for tens of millions of dollars by Amazon. Like, every celebrity has a podcast. But I don't know. When the when there are comics on, like the Maya Rudolph episode, it was just really – it's fun because they all kind of came up together, or like Adam Sandler has an early episode. So we were just listening to it, and I, yeah, it's not like – it's a good, like – for a lot a wide audience kind of podcast so anyway after watching that though I'm like I want it's so fun to watch Will Arnett and Jason Bateman like in Arrested Development so I turned that on last night and it was just it's always a good rewatch and uh, it's another show if you've never seen it oh my god just the first three seasons anyway yeah skip skip everything after (laughs) just just it's so fun (laughs) it's so like eternally funny every time I watch that show there's new things that I find funny which I just feel like is the is the mark of a good show when you can be like, oh my god, I didn't get that the first time, or like that's a little tiny stupid joke stuck in there that like you love. Yep. Good content. Good consumption. We did it. We did um, it. We did it. What else? Should well, we give everyone a pep talk? We can give a pep talk. Um, and I can share my worst first date that I witnessed. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot. Yeah, share that. Okay, some of you may have seen this on the Instagram, but then I promptly took it down because I figured it was a little bit visually disturbing. So tease. Uh, I went to a bar in New York, uh, New York, in LA. There actually is one in New York called Employees Only. It's a little swanky, like sat outside for a cocktail. Um, and there was very clearly a first date happening next to us. A guy and a girl. The girl looked like she was like dressed to go out. So not an, maybe an important detail. He looked nice too. But they were clearly having those first date conversations. It looked like it was going fine. All of a sudden, though, the girl is up and gone. And it was like, wait, what? What happened? We weren't paying that much attention to them. And then I, I look at the table and I'm like, why is her mask in her drink? And why are those drinks? Why do they both look like chunky ass smoothies? Oh, my God. She has puked in two water glasses and spiked her mask and left in a hurry. And she did not seem like oh hammered God. ham there. Like I left them on the table. This guy is sitting alone looking desperately for a server so mortified to pay the bill i was i was so upset i was i was like women suck too like and then we go to leave he's already left we were just happened to be wrapping up around the same time also i could not look at that it was very disgusting so hence taking down the instagram but uh, we go outside and I see her. She's still out there. And now it's like, wait a second. And he's talking to her. And I'm like, uh-oh. Now, protective Kimmy wants to make sure he's not like, oh, you know. Again, yeah. unfair of me. Because no. He, all of a sudden, his Uber comes. She's still waiting for hers or whoever is going to pick her up. He gets in his Uber. He's like, hey, have a nice night. And I don't, there were plenty of people outside. He did not need to wait for her to get home safe. She she was walking. He just got caught seeing her on the way out. And was just like, see ya. And I, I, I can't, I can't believe the nonchalance. She didn't even like leave them on the ground or something. I don't know. It was disgusting. And I, and she probably didn't have a mask to get in an Uber, honestly, because she spiked her mask in the drink. So she must have like, 
baby puked in the in the mask and then it was disgusting. Um, oh my god, it's but so so fucked gross. up, but also hilarious. Like it's also just hilarious. like and one day it's they funny were when young. you see those things up close, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking if you're listening to this and you're like, "Oh my god, I puked in a cup on a date." I feel like I've had a friend that's puked in a cup at a bar like way when it's we were me. really young. Is it? Oh, it's me. <laughs> oh, yes. So that would be me. I was thinking yeah. of another at friend. A, proud of you. At an IHOP. <laughs> at a fucking it wasn't even at a bar it was after the bar it was like the bar closed down at four there's a there was a bar at northwestern no it, was, it must have been two because it was chicago so there was a bar that that was like popular amongst this was a night of just i i mean so many things happened to me on this one night that are like three separate individual crazy stories that happened on this one night i uh got bought i was underage and i had a fake id and i was someone bought me a drink and we were chatting at the bar and he told me he was a cop and he was just off duty oh. and i was like 19 at this bar i was like wow. oh my god crew that's so cool like oh, went to the bathroom and then left her i don't know i was just like oh my god get away from this man because you're a child at a bar uh and then i went to the bar shut down I went to IHOP. I puked in four water glasses, and then <laughs> something else happened later that, like, I won't talk about because it's gross. I, I hooked up with a friend that I shouldn't have hooked up with after puking in a bunch of water glasses. That's the thing. Like, these people were definitely young. They could have been like USC or UCLA or any other college students. I yeah. feel like so. If you've been there, I don't mean to shame you, but it was just like, ah. Oh. But this is the thing. Dating is nasty and crazy and like we gotta laugh at it and one day she'll look back and be like oh my gosh that sweet man or maybe he's yeah. not a sweet man but that I just like left with two glasses of puke um you know <laughs> I don't know just <laughs> such a funny story really? it's like do you remember that I love I mean I love seeing first dates in the wild like especially now that we talk about them every week yeah but like it's so fun just to watch a normal, boring first date go down when you like when it's the next table from you and you're like, you kind of can't stop looking or whatever. But seeing a worse first, obviously, this is like a bad situation. And I'm glad I'm sure I'm glad everyone is like, OK, whatever. But I fucking love it. I love watching people on first dates. Yeah, I wish the tables were still like socially distanced and outside. So. Um, could oh also a, an earthquake happened while we were there all of a sudden I was like <laughs> oh my god all of a sudden I looked at Cody and was like uh, uh, is the ground shaking and then it was like it was further from us but like a 4.4 somewhere like by Long Beach and I was like oh okay yep not cool. oh my god anyway um the apocalypse of some kind um, eventful yeah crazy I want to – this is the thing I miss about socially distanced tables, not being able to eavesdrop on people's first dates. Yeah, like sitting next to each other at a bar, which like you could probably do now, but yes. Yeah. Or like the New York restaurants where like it's – they're they're just trying to squeeze as many tables in as possible so you are three inches away from the table next to you. Like they have to move the table so you can slide into your seat and then they move it back and then your ass like hits the other person's table if you have to go to the bathroom. Oh, like yeah. I miss those because I really did enjoy and would often if I was eating with Jeff or or a friend who I'm close enough with to shush, I would often be like, shush. Like, <laughs> I can see you doing you it. You don't want me next. I love it. I love it. I love it. You probably witnessed me being like, no, no, shush, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Eavesdropping. Hold on. <laughs> I love eavesdropping so much. It's twisted. Um, um, I love it. Incredible. What do you think? Should we give a pep talk or should we go into Casey? Let's give each a 20 second maximum pep talk of dating. We basically, to zoom out, we've seen some, it's fall, things feel 
different. I don't really know what that has to do with it, but I just saw some very vulnerable posts, some some exciting ones. We saw an engagement of people who, or someone who is should not credit us, but is crediting us with getting back out there dating and meeting her fiance because we we were being, I was being a social media not rock star and just liking people's posts who follow other podcasts to get them to look at our podcast. So she was like, it worked. So thank you and congratulations. And we also have seen some posts that are just kind of like, I feel like my dating life will never get to be, be what I want it to be. And I have been there 100% and it's the worst fucking feeling and even a pep talk might not feel good. We're going to do a pep talk episode, I think, of some kind. I don't know what that means, but just like I love that one of our listeners and then we can read the whole thing once we get her permission, but basically in the group was like anyone with a pep talk because sometimes that's all you need. You're like, I'm thinking of this in one way. I need to think of it in another way. And it's a quote or it's a story you hear or an article you read. So yeah, that would be a fun episode. We need to get... We need to get Carlin on for that episode. Oh, it was <laughs> not a question. She's the best pep talker. Yeah. She gives such good goddamn pep talks. If it was us, it's we would incredible. just make everyone more depressed, I feel. So, you know. No, just <laughs> We'd be kidding. like, don't date. You're Sit an on excellent your couch. pep talker, Liza. Um, you've done not it to me. But anyway, let's just do it. Let's just say, like, like if you're if you're feeling unpepped, not about dating, just, like, about your dating and love life, what would we say, Liza? What would you say? Okay. I'm going to start my 20 seconds now. Okay. I think the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do you want to be dating and why? And if the answer is no, I give you permission. I know it's hard to give yourself permission. So I grant you permission to just not date right now. And that's totally, totally fine. I'm already coming up on 20 seconds. This is going to be a little longer. If the answer is yes, then Think about dating like you would think about, okay, so I've been going back to a yoga situation. I I find it to be very COVID safe. Um, But I, my first class back was like this really, really strange experience. It was a class I did constantly before COVID and it was really important to my like physical and mental health. And it was really mentally powerful when I first went back and really physically challenging And I was really frustrated with how physically challenging it was. And at some point in the class, the teacher said something brilliant that I won't fuck up by requoting. But it was basically just, you know, some version of like, let yourself be where you are and like meet yourself there. And I know that's not a revolutionary or new concept. And it's very, very like every yoga teacher ever has said that in every class. But it hit differently that day because I really needed it. So I just want to invite you if you want to go on a, if you're like, I do want to be dating, but I just, it's so fucking much, go for a coffee date. Like, you know, just be like, how can I swipe on someone who you wouldn't normally swipe on, who you think is, looks nice and sweet and genuine, you know, even if it's not your type or whatever, you know, don't take advantage of anybody, but just try to give yourself a an easy way in. Try to find someone on the apps who just seems like a nice person. They don't have to be cool or this or that or whatever. And go have a coffee with them or a single drink with them. And when you get there, be like, I'm really out of practice dating and this freaks me out. And see how they respond. Like, just do not feel the need to be your best, most cool, most like everything dating self. Make it a really low degree of difficulty. This is your version of of child's pose in yoga. Like just hit child's pose whenever you need. And then if you need to take two more weeks before you even open your app again, fucking do it. Like 
I think it's like really it should not there's no way there's no reason it would be easy to get back into it so don't expect that of yourself that's my pep talk and it was closer to three minutes than 20 seconds so so then I get to be shorter but I I guess um just running off of what Liza just said I would also think a little bit about you know what's getting you down about dating or your love life or your status as being single like really digging in like what is it about being single that you don't like is it just when people ask those questions about your dating life and you feel like oh god I'm I'm that friend I haven't gotten there yet because this is how I always felt or are you genuinely craving partnership and it can be a combination of both but here's my thing if you're feeling down about it's never going to happen for me it's probably going to be disappointing because it's a numbers game so If you were going into like a lot of dates with an optimistic or pessimistic perspective, you're probably going to get the same hit rate. Well, I don't know. That might not be true. But basically, like, it's really hard to meet someone. It really is. Who's like actually going to be a good partner to you and you're going to be a good partner to them. So the dates are going to be a little bit disappointing if you're already more disappointing if you're already in the mindset of like, fuck this me and it's me and it's me. So it might be a really, really great time to remember that it's absolutely not you and get in touch with the things that remind you how fucking great you are in all of your being. So it's so cheesy, but I think it's true. Hanging out with friends, planning like a solo trip somewhere, even if it's a day trip for yourself, you know, starting to cook or doing some fun, I don't know, other class or something where you're learning, going into yoga. This sounds so cheesy, but I do also think that it is it is not you because if it were you, then it would have been me when I felt this exact same way. And then I would never be able – I'm in a relationship now and someone actually – oh, someone actually wants to be with me for a long time. Wow. I had convinced myself that was impossible. And I think once I had more shit going on for myself, including this podcast – Um, not that it's huge or anything, but just focusing on like what makes you happy and how you want to be living your life. I don't know that you'll prove yourself wrong very soon. It it might take a longer time than you would hope, but it's all about the shift within you. So I would just say also just, just when you dig into that, why do I not want to be single or why do I want this in a partner? Just remember like, Lots of bad partnerships out there. So many. Like being single is only a naughty thing because we were told it was because of the patriarchy. Being single can be fucking amazing. So I don't know. Amen. I tried. I said a lot of words there, but no. Well, that's why I'm Carlin, you know? <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's perfect. I think it's important to remember all these things and we will continue to be here for you as you venture back into dating. Feel free to ask us specific uh, give us specific pep talk, talk prompts and we'll fucking run with it. Um, but for now, we are going to take a really quick ad break and then we're going to go to our interview with Casey Tanner. We hope you guys enjoy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
All right, Casey, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to speak with you today. And yeah, just really, really glad you could come on. Yeah, I'm excited too. This is going to be great. We're so excited. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, all of the amazing things you do. But first, we always like to ask, do you have a worst first date story? I do. I have many, but the one that I actually was just talking about the other day with my partner is that our first date, the first date I had with the person I'm still seeing was just terrible, just awful. We we were reflecting on this together, wondering why are we still dating based off of how bad <laughs> this first date was. And I, I've always thought it was a bad first date, but I didn't want to say that to her. Right? I don't want to hurt her feelings. But the other day it came out that she felt the same way. And it was this like moment of relief where we could both be like, okay, it sucked for both of us. Um, but yeah, I would say like zero flirtatious energy, no sexual tension. I think we got in a couple of arguments on some like really hot button political issues. And then she like walked me to the car and I don't even know if we hugged goodbye. Like it was like zero touch whatsoever. And usually for me, I would not go on a second date with the person that it felt that way with and neither would she. So I was like, why did you go out with me again? And she was like, honestly, it was like purely because you were hot. It was like, literally <laughs> that is the only reason. Like, thank you for your honesty. Uh, and I think for me, it was that she had like a very impressive career. So I was like, okay, giving it a second chance. Glad I did. Oh my God. We, That's like very inspirational. I feel like, cause I think a lot of people have been on those first dates where, yeah, like nothing horrible happens, but it's just like, okay, like we don't, this isn't a thing, you know? And it's good to hear that these types of, you know, you're, we always encourage people to go on second dates, even if it wasn't a great first date, even mm-hmm. if, unless the first date was like, you know, traumatic in any way or there were any kind of like seriously bad vibes right it was like just go on the second date because you don't know and this is proof I don't know why I'm (laughs) claiming this as my own personal victory but it's just like it does sometimes take a couple a couple tries with somebody to like feel out the vibe yeah in our case it was like two years and then we finally got it right (laughs) oh my goodness I love you (laughs) it happens I mean I do think Liza, this is the first time this is, you know, we always ask this icebreaker. I think this is the first time that we've asked this icebreaker and the date was someone that the person we asked the question of was still with. But so you said it took two years and you don't have to share any more than you want to. But were yeah. you kind of in the same social circle or just stayed in touch? I'm just so fascinated because so often right. after a couple dates. Yeah, well, we had just like a very gay meeting at a lesbian softball game. and you know went on this terrible date had a couple of good dates after that dated and then like have been really had been really on and off for a long time because we're just completely different she is a lawyer just graduated from law school and business school I'm obviously a therapist so just like pure emotion she's a Capricorn I'm a Pisces you know enough said Um, (laughs) and it took until probably like this year for us to understand each other and once it clicked it clicked but oh my gosh, the amount of perseverance that went into me. But I think it says a lot about the love that's there, right? To fight that hard in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Totally. Well, I'm and I'm happy for you. Yeah. Really and you. genuinely, like, it's a cliche, but timing is everything. I've, I mean, I've known my partner for like 14 years and like I knew him for like six or seven years before we wow. started dating. And I always like thought it was cute and had a crush on him. And he just like didn't. <laughs> 
you know it, that makes me sound very very creepy but it's you do have to like come together at the right time I think for oh absolutely it was so much about timing yeah um in that kind of same vein our other um Terry Gross Oprah icebreaker can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to relationships and you can kind of interpret that however you want yeah uh, terrified. My relationship to relationships is generally terrified. Um, I, I come from a, a family where my parents got divorced after being in a marriage for like 17 years. That was a lot more like a business partnership than a relationship. And so that's what I came to understand love was, which obviously wasn't that enticing to me. And I think for a long time, I've struggled with questions like what is love? Is love real? Is marriage real? Is monogamy possible? Um, and maybe became a therapist to find those things out. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, a couple of years into being a therapist, still don't necessarily know the answer to those questions. A little bit, ter- uh, a little bit less terrified now. Um, but I don't know. I think relationships are really hard and I think they're scary. I do. Um, doesn't mean they're not worth it. But yeah, it's I completely agree. I feel like, you know, talking about dating and relationships on this podcast, you know, without the expertise that you have. But I just... I think the biggest learning for me in some ways has been kind of because I started out very single on this podcast, kind of like trying to challenge myself to go on dates, you know, the whole shtick we tried to, (laughs) you know, use. (laughs) But then like getting into my first ever serious relationship that I'm still in and realizing how scary that was too. Like it's all scary. It can be scary to be alone. It can be really scary to care for someone so much that – you know, exactly. Either life. way, it's scary. <laughs> and, and then relationships can be scary for other, you know, more truly scary reasons. So yeah, right. um, exactly. I, I hear you there. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah. It's very everything. Relatable. Everything is scary about everything. I, or maybe I'm just in a bad place. I don't. Know. <laughs> Are you in a bad place? <laughs> I mean, the weird thing is, current. I feel like I'm in a good place, but just the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's I just continue mm-hmm. to be like, oh, just everything's kind of bad, but we're. We're working through it. We're meaning me, not right, the world. right. Anyway, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna use you as my therapist. This I will is wait not until therapy. Okay, next Thursday with um, <laughs> my actual therapist. So, tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in in working in sex therapy. You know, especially in kind of the gender diversity space and working with queer, queer relationships. Like, sort of how you got where you are. Yeah. I mean, it started out almost exactly the opposite of where I am. I went to school to be a pastor, um, with very like evangelical Christian, like very purity culture vibes all the way. Um, yeah. And the change happened honestly, uh, because of my mental health just tanked. I was struggling in basically every way you can struggle with your mental health for many years until it got to the point where it really was an epiphany that was like, if I don't come out and if I don't deal with this part of myself, like, I don't know if I'm going to be alive anymore. And it was really that dire at a certain point. And luckily I didn't know it at the time, but I was, I happened to be seeing a queer therapist who was like, so ready to receive that from me and knew how to affirm that, but go slowly, um, but celebrate it, but not be overbearing about it. And she ended up being the person who taught me what the clitoris was and told me where to go buy my first vibrator. And the fact that a therapist could be that space was blowing my mind. I would have never thought that sex education and therapy could coincide so much. Um, And I think that she became my hero and we all want to sort of become our heroes. And and so I started pursuing the path to becoming a therapist. And then 
um, you know, takes, takes a couple years to do that. And then did some, uh, uh, more education to specifically become a certified sex therapist. And then all my training has just been within the LGBTQ community so that it's all sort of happened very naturally from there. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, if someone's listening right now and they're kind of, maybe they haven't ever been to a therapist or they've been to one type of therapist, um, where do you think, how would you recommend thinking about a sex therapist or someone spe- mm-hmm. specifically kind of specializing in that type of therapy? And when would, when would you suggest to <laughs> someone to explore that? Maybe thinking about some of your clients and when they found you or came to you versus just other types of therapy. Totally. There, there's a lot of mystery around sex therapy because based on the name, you might think if I go to a sex therapist, I'm going to be talking about a sex, which is so absolutely not the case. Sex therapists have gotten the same training that any other therapist has with an additional area of expertise in sexuality because most graduate school programs don't teach anything about sex or sex therapy. So for me personally, I don't know if I'm ever going to see a therapist who's not a sex therapist again, because sex is just part of my life the same way that, you know, exercise, mindfulness, you know, relationships are part of my life. So if you're somebody for whom sexuality feels like a core piece of who you are, whether that's like a a sexual diverse identity or just having sex or even being asexual, it's helpful to sit in front of someone who, you know, can approach it in a like non-shaming, non-judgmental and knowledgeable way, because I think sex therapy can be very healing of the very terrible sex education we all got growing up. Yeah. No, it's it's truly atrocious when we think back. We've yes. you know yes. had other conversations and with people on this podcast. And I'm like, I can't believe that like that was that was sex education in the nineties yeah. and kind of still is, <laughs> right? you know. And yeah. and I both grew up in like extremely liberal areas with pretty good public school systems too. Mm-hmm. So amongst the people of the millennial generation, we in theory had right, one of the, the better experiences. Yeah. And still Same. it was just like, you're going to get herpes. You're going to get this. It was very like fear-based and 100%. yeah, it was, you know, continues to shock me that that's what it was. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh, it's dark. Um, Casey, also just thinking about kind of, you mentioned your upbringing and, you know, going to school to be a pastor and I think family obviously or our school systems, all of these these places and communities we've grown up in shape our views of our sexuality so much. Um, and this podcast is very much geared, you know, our audience is mainly comprised of, you know, cis hetero women, not entirely, mm-hmm. but a lot mm-hmm. of women, yes, um, female identifying people for sure. And I... I think that, you know, it would be really interesting to hear from your perspective, just like, you know, when sometimes we get in our heads, even being, I I think sometimes, you know, as a straight woman, you know, how much of that is just because that's what I grew up with and, you know, I never explored something else. So if someone's feeling like they want to explore their sexuality in a new way, I'm saying this so roundabout, but I guess where would you kind of like start to guide them? Like if it's Mm -hmm. just like they're listening to this conversation or they've thought about things differently, like how to start exploring that part of yourself. Yeah. I'm a big believer that it's, you're never too early or too late to ask yourself these questions. Um, And I think it really is starting with questions and curiosity towards yourself, asking yourself the things that people should have asked you when you were younger, but didn't. Um, So much of heteronormativity is passed down through questions. So for example, 
maybe you either of you have had the experience of coming home from school and a parent saying like, oh, do you have any crushes on boys? Right? Like what a very specific question that only allows for a very specific kind of answer, right? Instead of, hey, was there anyone at school that you had a crush on? Um, and so I think beginning to shift the way you ask yourself those questions to make them more expansive and leave room for a different kind of answer, right? If you're not used to asking yourself, how does my body feel around women? It, is there any sign of arousal when I'm around a woman? What type of porn am I interested in? Could that be because there's part of me that is curious about this or longs for this? So shifting the question, so powerful and readiness look so differently for different people. Um, for me, as I described, it was that like there were some pretty serious consequences of not exploring that part of myself, meaning that I was dealing with a lot of mental health stuff. But for other people, it's they finally found themselves in a community with other queer people that like mirror that identity back to them. And now it's safer to explore. Or maybe they're, you know, bored in a quarantine for two years and finally have a chance to look at that part of themselves. Or uh, maybe they meet a person who they just like immediately have a crush on and they never expected that it would be somebody of the same gender. So it can look so differently for everybody, but ask yourself different questions. And if you need help with that, that's where therapy comes in because there are people who know how to ask those questions. Yeah. Such a great point. Just the way we're asked questions as children again. I'm, my parents were great, but like, yeah, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Right. It was the same. I mean, they probably asked us better questions than the ones they were asked. Right. It's just like, right. right, They're, they're just passing down that same thing. So this is where we get to interrupt that for ourselves. And if you want to have kids for our kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I have a three-year-old niece who is my best friend. I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) And, um, I have caught myself doing it. And I think of like, you know, she has like a friend at school who's a boy and I'm like, is he cute? You know, like, Mm -hmm. And like, it's so, you know, it's a, it's a fairly benign question because he's, he's three. Of course he's cute. Everyone she goes to school with is cute. But the way that I'm asking her about it is. It's different, different than if she was coming home, having a new friend. Yes. That was and yeah. I also am like, you know, think of myself at, like, I, you know, I, I work in film, live in New York. I think of myself as like someone who should, like, I, I've been, um, I've been like calling my sister out on like, well, if, you know, cause you know, if she says she's a boy, you should just be like, you're, you you know, I've been trying to be, be like mm-hmm. trying to encourage better talk around gender. And then I did the same exact fucking thing. Like it is right. very baked it's in. Ingrained. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. It's, mm-hmm. it's that fucking Disney bullshit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you, in the same kind of context, say you're doing that that sort of work, someone's exploring, you know, mm-hmm. being, uh, exploring new aspects of their sexuality internally. How, do you have any yeah. advice on how to approach sharing that with other people in your life or, or getting past the fear of sharing that with other people in your life? Yeah, I think it's, it's a really realistic fear sharing with other people especially people who you don't totally know hundred percent their stance on this. Right. And there are so many people who have like a sort of overall positive stance on gayness, but then when it comes to someone in their personal life, it's, it's totally different. So I, I would 
immediately just start with validating that fear. There's a reason why it's there. It's there to protect you. It's there to protect you from feeling shame and being outcasted. But if it's somebody you trust or somebody that you really want to know you in this way, like I love starting with that phrase, which is just, I want to tell you something because I want you to know me. And then trying to get clear about what it is that you're looking for in that conversation. Like, I'm not really looking for questions right now, or I'm not really looking to like tell the whole story right now, but I want you to know this piece or, Hey, ask away. Like I really welcome your curiosity. The more specific you can be, the more you set the other person and yourself up for a a conversation that's meaningful and boundaried. Um, but it, you know, there's a tendency for people we tell them to make it about themselves, right? If you're telling a a longtime friend and you're in your thirties and forties, the response might be, why didn't you tell me this sooner? And it was probably because you didn't know sooner. That's like probably why. Um, or if you're telling a partner, right, the response could easily be feelings of being threatened or wondering, like, am I enough? Do you still want me? So knowing that those questions are not your problem, (laughs) that that is about them, not about you. And also that like, they may come up and maybe think about ways you would want to handle that or boundaries you'd want to set around that. Yeah, that's such a great point around boundaries. I mean, always important, but I really like that advice of even saying, I'm not looking for questions right now. That just feels so tangible and yet probably very effective. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned, you know, telling a partner, which I find, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think I've, you know, we've gotten notes about this. Um, I've, had friends with experiences around this, but how, when you're in a longer term partnership and you're having these feelings, do you have any advice for kind of how to navigate that? And I know it, it certainly matter. It, it's a case by case scenario, I imagine, mm-hmm. but kind of how to share that. And then maybe on the flip side, how to receive that right. from your partner, because I don't imagine my reaction would be the one I would want it to be like, Liza, I'm thinking of you kind of beating yourself up for the way you speak to your sweet niece, which <laughs> we're working on it. But I, I don't think I'd have the open-minded reaction if my boyfriend came to me right now with, and that's, that's a me problem, you know? Yeah. Well, it, in some ways, yes, but I think it's more nuanced than that. Like you're allowed to have a reaction to that. Now, whether you share that reaction with him or you choose to have, you know, process with other people, that that's a good question worth asking. Um, but you know, there are people who come out in their relationships and they want to do something about it, whether that's open the relationship or explore. And it's completely valid that the person who's in the monogamous straight passing relationship would feel type of way about that, right? Like that's a very normal reaction, but I think a lot of the fear reactions come from biphobia, which is, you know, sort of like, there's so many myths about biphobia. One of them is if I'm attracted, if, if you're attracted to somebody of multiple genders, then no one's ever going to be enough for you. You're always going to need to date people of multiple genders, right? Not true. Um, or for men, if you're attracted to men and women, well, then you're probably actually gay. Or for women, if you're attracted to men and women, well, you're probably just experimenting, right? Like these types of really biphobic responses. Um, and so, you know, relationships are so personal. And so talk about like, telling somebody who might take it personally, your partner, right? It's so obvious. Again, doesn't necessarily mean it's your problem, doesn't necessarily mean it's about you, but I think if you can identify the systemic reasons, like by phobia, that there's so much fear in the response, you can sort of be a team against that instead of me against you, right? Like you trying to leave me and tell me that I'm not enough when actually that's just a societal narrative. That's actually not what your partner is saying. 
it's so it's such a good point again of course that's why we had you on but I feel like that societal narrative can come up in so many different parts of dating and relationships just even as you know way less important like the way we've been guilty on this podcast about talking about narratives around fuck boys or all I don't know it's just all these different societal narratives at all different levels of depth and dating feel so detrimental but Mm -hmm. alas (laughs) it's getting better slowly maybe um well it's hard I mean I think it's been also hard for I know that there's I think there's a lot of like using dating someone who is queer I have done this myself calling myself out on it as like the punchline to a joke I was like emotionally involved with someone for two years who then came out to me and it was a very like difficult Mm -hmm. experience for my own self-esteem because I had none and I took it as like this personal um affront that it was not I you know and I think that there has been you know you see this in in movies and tv a lot of like I dated a gay guy but I'm you know like there's a lot of Mm-hmm. Um, or I turned him gay. That's mm-hmm. the narrative you hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. And I think that a lot of it comes from as, as someone who had a semi-experience with this, but I was very young. I think so much of it comes from just all uh, what we were saying at the beginning. Dating's vulnerable, and anytime you get hurt, it hurts. Yeah. And, uh, but it's so it's so cool to think about like this doesn't have to be this big, like, horrible, dramatic reveal that I definitely turned it into. Mm-hmm. It's a way of knowing someone, a way of knowing someone deeper, a way of being close to someone in a deeper way. And if that means there's a change in your romantic, inv- or there's a shift in the the basis of your relationship, you know, remembering that it's not about you. I'm, I'm speaking directly to my 21-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no shoulds around this. Like how you respond is how you respond. But if you can take a step back away from taking it personally, you might also realize that the scarier thing is what if your partner didn't tell you this, right? Like that shit's gonna stir up. It's gonna come out eventually. While it may be scary, also this means that your partner trusts you. It means that um, they want to in some way navigate this with you. So there's there are worse things than them telling you. Yeah, totally. Point. Yeah, I just watched the movie Far from Heaven, which is like a movie from 2002 about. I've never um, seen it. Oh my god, it's an incredible movie. I've been on like a Todd's <laughs> kick, uh, and uh, yeah, I was thinking about just like, oh my god, we have made a lot of progress in the society in the society in 50, 60 mm-hmm. years. Not mm-hmm. not done yet, but just the idea that you know, people's lives were, go see the movie. It'll just make you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, whenever I want to reflect on how quickly things have changed, I watch an early 2000s movie. So this makes sense. To yeah, me. totally. And it's also yeah. not only early 2000s, but set in 1958. So it was like, <laughs> it's really, it really cuts deep. Okay. Um, so you talk a lot about people expanding their sexual repertoire, which uh, can kind of apply to all types of different relationships. Do you have like a piece, a favorite piece of sort of expansive sex advice for people who are at different stages of dating, maybe for single people or people mm-hmm. in early stages of dating? Yeah. Yeah. For single folks, if you're somebody that masturbates or has solo sex, we can get just like we can get stuck in a rut with partnered sex. We can get stuck in a rut with masturbation, right? You have the same vibrator you use 
every time you're always on your back, the lights are always dim. You're watching the same porn over it, whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for folks who enjoy solo sex, I love the idea of saying like, all right, either change your position, change your toy or change your context, get yourself a new sex toy. If you're used to the lights off, turn them on. If you're used to masturbating, lying down, do it standing up, do it in the shower, do it, you know, in the living room instead of in your bedroom, easy mental shift, easy, actually concrete shifts to make that will totally change your mental headspace around it as well. For folks who are newer to dating, I think really looking at the gender roles of it all, the who should be initiating, who should be paying, who should initiate the date, who should initiate sex, what are the rules around texting and like flipping that script, I think can be so powerful. I'm, I'm really somebody that's like, fuck the idea that you're not allowed to text somebody first or four times in a row. Um, if you're somebody that's like, you know, I've always had sex on the first date and I'm not mad about that, but I'm curious what it would be like to wait a little bit longer. Try that, vice versa. Um, I think especially for women, experimenting with different levels of assertiveness, um, things that maybe we typically associate with masculinity and trying them on, seeing how they feel. And then for longer term relationships, and these are the folks I'm usually seeing in my office, I really like to help folks notice the scripts that they fall into. It sort of ends up being like, all right, well, you always start kissing me. I always take your shirt off first. You always unzip my pants. I touch you, you orgasm, then it's my turn, right? And like, I like to really piece that apart, figure out where those steps came from, how they, how they became the ritual. And then talk about the fear of changing it because there's often fear behind not shifting that. So if you're going to expand your sexual repertoire, you are inevitably going to encounter some of those fears about difference. Yeah. Great advice. I, yeah, it's so easy when you said ritual, I was like, oh, that is, that hits, you know, it becomes a daily ritual and I, you know, and <laughs> there's nothing not, bad about a ritual. No. Rituals can be incredibly meaningful, right? But, but also not super expensive. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Especially um, after like the year and a half we've all had, I feel like, you know, where it's just, I think, outside of sex and inside of sex everyone has been really like habit based our lives are ritualistic there's less to do there's less mm -hmm. things breaking up our daily routine there's less fun there's less like forced ritual almost yes totally yeah. and there's with without anything breaking any of i'm literally just talking about my day-to-day -day routine especially like a little bit you know pre-vax a, a little bit longer ago it's been better since then but the kind of sameness like groundhog dayness of everything mm -hmm. has expanded for sure into I think everyone's sex lives. Yeah, right. Like that's that's the forced ritual of it. Some of them are more chosen and some of the rituals we have they're to manage our anxiety, right? Like I know I get coffee at this place every day because I don't want to think about where I'm getting my coffee and that helps manage my anxiety. Same is true around sexuality and relationships. We do it because we know it and it manages our anxiety. So expansiveness does require pushing ourselves. Yeah. And I think, yeah, speaking kind of to pushing ourselves and centering this question definitely on our audience, but I'm like maybe more tangibly diving a little bit more into, okay, I'm listening to this podcast or just listen, I'm, I'm following you on Instagram. I'm thinking about, I'm a woman who's dated men. I'm thinking about actually switching my bumble or my hinge over and going on my first dates with women and exploring that. What, you know about maybe queer dating, would you say, and of course this is kind of generalizing, but what 
advice would you have? Kind of just like mm-hmm. things to think about differently because again, speaking to rituals, yeah, may have been dating <laughs> men as a ritual. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Actually. That's a great way to put it. Uh, well, you, you got the first part, right? Dating apps all the way. It is so much harder to meet queer folks in real life because you don't know who is queer always. Sometimes, sometimes it's obvious, not always. At a lesbian softball game, you know, pretty obvious. <laughs> um, but first thing that has to go out the window is any rules you have about um, men supposed to be initiating conversations on dating apps. Like if you're going, if you're a woman going on to meet other women, you got to get comfortable with initiating and you got to look at whatever barriers there are for you around that. Is it that I don't feel sexy when I'm not the one being pursued, right? Looking at those, challenging those, it can be incredibly sexual, sexy to initiate and be a little bit more dominant in that way. Um, but what I often hear from folks who are in the position you're describing is anxiety about being perceived as experimenting or even wondering themselves, like, am I experimenting potentially at the cost of this person's heart? Um, but my response is always, if you if you have genuine interest in um, and you know that you're not doing it to use somebody, then every first date is an experiment always, 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 always. Right. So there's, there's not something like especially unique about that. And so allow yourself to lean in and everyone's heart is on the line on a first date and in a different way, whether you're new to queerness, not dating somebody who's done it for a while while you're new. So I say lower the pressure of having to know for sure before you go on that first date. Allow it to be an experiment. Every first date is an experiment. Um, I think too, like it does not have to get sexual right away. If it's if it's pushing yourself enough to just go on that date, but the idea of escalating it physically is the thing that makes you really anxious, then take it off the table for yourself for the first however many dates as a way to just lower your anxiety. And then I think last thing I always hear from people is like, do I tell people this is my first time? Do I tell people I'm new to this? And I really believe you do not owe anybody that information. So only give it if it's going to help you, if it's going to help your anxiety. Because I think this idea that we we should just disclose if we're a virgin, we should disclose if we're new to something is actually purity culture at work and not, not actually information we owe anybody else. So you can hold on to that yourself. I have dated people who didn't tell me until multiple dates in that they'd never been out with a woman before. And I had no idea. Um, and so that's totally okay. You're not lying or hiding, right? I mean, eventually if you move into a longer term relationship might be something you share so that your partner knows you, but it doesn't have to be a confession, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm, yes. Yeah. That's cool to hear. It's not like a dirty secret or no. like you're lying or wronging the person. Well, and the thing is that like, a very large portion of queer folks have been exactly in your shoes. So most people will be understanding of that. Amazing. Well, Casey, thank you so much. This is incredible. I feel like we, you know, learned so much. You're amazing. You know, your Instagram is amazing. Um, Yeah. Tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, get involved in the expansive group. Yeah, definitely. So my Instagram is Queer Sex Therapy. We do just 100% free sex education. Um, It really is for everybody, uh, but specifically focused on expansiveness, right? Um, And then the expansive group is my sex therapy practice. We work with relationships, gender, sexuality, anxiety, depression, everything. Um, And we can work anywhere in the world. So if you're listening and anything is hitting home and you want a little bit more support, you can go to theexpansivegroup.com and uh, get signed up for therapy with us. 
And we're going to link all of that below so that you can find Casey and her group really easily. And please go follow her, check out everything that she does. And Casey, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. Yeah, thank you guys.